0: Welcome to Profiles of Endurance. I'm Father Scott Vanderveer. Many of the most faith-filled people we meet were not always that way. It's quite common that someone who feels very in love with God and wants to share the joy that they feel from their faith with others often went through a period of time where faith wasn't important to them. And it's the contrast between life with God versus life ignoring God that causes them to feel so alive in the spiritual life that they've chosen. That's the case with today's guest. Christa DeRosier was not always a woman of deep faith, though now she's arranged her life primarily around the will of God as it's been revealed to her. But strong faith did not protect her from misfortune. Several years ago, Krista went through a health crisis that threatened her life and caused her to think deeply about what it would mean for her to leave her four children and husband behind. The community rallied around her and the support she received has filled her with increased joy and appreciation for the people in her life. But no one showed up more than God. Listen to this remarkable conversation between a faithful mother, wife, and church minister and her pastor about just how much God can show up at the darkest times when we need to see God's face the most. Let's start at the very beginning of the journey. Talk a little bit about your family life and what faith and family was like growing up.
1: Okay, hi Father Scott,
0: good to chat today. <laughs> Great to chat.
1: Um, so just in a nutshell, my mother was a very devout Catholic, um, raised in the Massachusetts area with a family of seven children. Um, her mother was very devout, and but in, in my younger years I remember her as being devout but very rules-oriented. We were devout because it was the thing we were supposed to do. Hmm. Um, my father was born in Europe and uh, lived through the war and had a very um, great childhood, about up to the age of 15, and then difficult for three years um, with the, the ravages of war, I guess, and decided to come to the States and was actually sponsored by Catholic Charities. Um, his, his faith, though, was an Easter kind of Catholic. He went... Because my mother, you know, said he should, uh. and he went to reconciliation once a year because it was the rule. And he, um, but he fully supported. You know, if my mother said the kids need to do this for church, then we did it for church. Um, hmm. And he, he, he said that in Europe, what he remembers as a child is the men and the women would all um, go to church in their horse and buggies and they would drop the women off and the men would sit on the park benches and just kind of catch up on the week <laughs> <what> the <laughs> not. so you know that was his experience and so that's what he brought here but um yeah always a very honest and and later later years i learned he had a, a pretty deep faith but it wasn't expressed by going to church and things like that
0: where so he- where were you in the, in the family? Like, so growing up with this European dad and this uh, faith-filled kind of r- religious rules-focused mom, where were you in the midst of family life?
1: Right, so I am one of eight children, and, uh, but there was a, a brother who was older than me that I never knew that died when he was two. Mm. Um, and I was number seven out of the eight.
0: Wow, near the end.
1: Yeah, so four boys, well, five boys, four that survived, and then three girls.
0: Wow. And so did you take after more your mother's approach to faith or your father's?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um, Definitely my mother's, just because it was, uh, in our family, it it did seem to be a little bit of a, um, you know, the boys kind of, My father was responsible for the uh, discipline and things of the boys, and my mother was responsible for the girls. So I think we just all naturally leaned more towards her characteristics and my brother's. Um, I don't think it was a gender thing. I think it was just who we all spent more time with.
0: Mm. You wound up going off for a career in the Army and lived all over the world, including... Now, did you go back to your father's home country? I did. Yes, I you lived in Germany. You lived in Korea. You were you were other places as well. What was what was that experience like for you? And and where was God in that experience for you?
1: Um, I, I love that experience. That was first and foremost. Um, it was a great experience, a great career, um, very much a learning experience as far as you know how the rest of the world lives. Um, I'm sure that God was in every single second of that, but there were not very many parts of that that I allowed him to be in
0: Um, Mm.
1: more, more in college and my early years in the army. Um, yeah, I mean, there's chapels on every post there's chaplains who reach out and I was, you know, just in and out. It was more a matter of convenience and how much I wanted to be involved. Um, yeah. Until it, it, until it, there was a there was a point where he was not involved at all, and my life was sort of spiraling in a very negative place. Um, and I was actually deployed to Panama at the time. And I remember a a young female single captain who was. Um, I guess what what I looked at her was she was in the exact same boat as I was, but for some reason she managed to instead of spending her time deployed. Drinking and blousing, she spent her time um, being a big sister to an orphan and going to church. And so um, she kind of, after that deployment, I I decided that, you know, I really want God and church back in my life. I didn't really know how to do that. I did pray for God to send me, um, you know, I said, if you don't want me to be this crazy person that I have become. Um, You need to send somebody to help me through this. And um, very shortly after, I met my now-husband, Bob, who is a very faith-filled man. And so, yeah, also in the Army, and he played in the folk group at church. So um, (laughs) a good friend of mine said, if you really want to meet a godly man, you should go back to church and ask to join the singing in group, because De Rosier sings, and, you know, he's single, so he seems like a nice guy, so um, the rest is history, as they say.
0: And his, it is, it's an amazing story, because he by no means expected that he would inevitably get married, is that right? Marriage was not an inevitable thing for him.
1: No, he went from um, considering the priesthood in college, he went to a Catholic college, to kind of, you know, he did have some serious relationships but um he just had kind of been resigned to the fact that well you know whatever if if I get married great if I don't um so yeah his on our first brunch when when you know I was sort of um you know thinking yeah this might be a possibility his comment was you know I never really saw myself as a white picket fence kind of guy
0: and I, I (laughs) I remember looking out the window and thinking really god really this is where you're taking me now but, um, wow!
1: But shortly after that, we so we dated a very long time, and I was kind of in a hurry. I was like, I really am ready to get married or not get married. Um, and he was he was not ready to get married at first. And I can remember one day being very distraught and just praying, you know, God, if if this is right, just let me know right now because I need a sign and I need a big one and um, completely dry, rain-free day, and I looked up in the sky, and there was just a huge rainbow, um, Oh! and so I said, oh, okay, all right, that's big, that's, that's
0: it, so. Um, oh, yeah. where were <laughs> you, where were you at that stage, what country were you in?
1: Um, I was still at uh, Fort Drum, actually.
0: Wow, yeah. north, in the northern part of New York State.
1: Yeah, when, I mean, so we were very early in our relationship, but because um, it was another probably four, four and a half years before we were engaged, even. So I really had to always go back to that rainbow moment and be
0: like, "Okay, what?" You sure did. <laughs> yeah, that you were. You said you were in a hurry, but uh, that's a different time frame than uh, yeah. than the normal hurry. <laughs> yeah. Wow, Krista, yeah. uh, if I might, I'd love to ask you about. When you first saw that other uh, service woman who, who had a similar post, but who was living her priorities differently. she was She was volunteering as a big sister and she was going to church. What was it that allowed you to make the shift? Because most people, especially at that age of life, even if we're not in a good place, we usually, some part of us defends where we are. We say, well, these are my choices and nobody has the right to tell me. What was it that uh, that that nudged you do you think were you were you starting to recognize that you weren't very happy with the direction you were in?
1: Yeah I mean it's very easy to peg it I was uh, I was realizing that I was not you know I would wake up different places different uh, situations and think what what am I doing this is not uh, um, and he just exuded such a joy wow. Um, and there was, you know, I was like, there's nothing in her life that if I said, oh, what did you do today that she couldn't tell me everything she had done um, without any shame or worrying about, you know, I was like, she's, she's making every decision, you know, in a positive way. Whereas if somebody asked me, you know, if my mother had told me and said, what did you do last night? Um, you know, it would have to be filtered.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Isn't know? that uh, interesting?
1: Yeah. So she, she was, her life and her joy was just so attractive. I said, I've, that is what I want to be. You know, that's what I, yeah.
0: Joy attracts, joy attracts. And you know, the other thing I'm thinking is uh, a phrase that, that I've always found true in my life, that there is not a single pillow you could ever rest your head on that is as soft as a clean conscience. Right. Uh, If you yeah, not having to cover your tracks feels so relaxing after making different. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. So you and Bob got married, and you came back to the states in time, and you got established in a in a sweet little town called Cuxaki, New York. (coughs) And you had you had four children in fairly rapid succession. How many kids? In how many years?
1: Yeah, um, I was still. We were in Germany. I was still on active duty, and we had Charlie.
0: Mm. um,
1: And Bob had just uh, retired, taken an early retirement. And but I knew as soon as we married that if we got, if we had a child, I would be ready to leave active duty. Um, And then I had Regina 22 months later, and. Therese two and a half years later and Catherine two years later so everybody Charlie was just six when I had Catherine
0: wow wow yeah. so with yeah and so the first baby was in 1997 99 or 90 oh it was 99 99, 99. yeah got yeah. it yeah. yeah and then by by 2005 you had your your youngest yes yep wow so then you've got so you've got small kids at home and you're homeschooling them. Was that from the very beginning you were homeschooling your children?
1: Yes. Yep. I just uh, a woman in Germany had said something to me about because um, I was involved and she was like a coach for a La Leche League for breastfeeding and she said, "Oh, you're going to go back to the states and homeschool." And I remember looking at her and saying, "I don't. That's not a thing. I don't even know what you're talking about." <laughs> um, but we did, we came back and as Charlie became, you know, school age and all my peers started talking about the the pre-K screening and the, I just started to kind of say, I, I think we're going to wait a year. We'll, and we just kept waiting a year um, and now we've, we've waited 16 years. So we're, we're pretty sure we're going to continue to do it. <laughs> yeah,
0: absolutely. And you've had your kids, you've had two kids now, three kids, two kids now graduate Yes. Yep. And uh, and they're on to uh, they're on to really great adult lives, um, and still, you know, works in progress as we all are. But um, but they're transitioning well into uh, into adulthood. So we'll Thank you for noticing that. Yeah, it's really it's lovely. It's lovely to see. It truly is. Now, as as often happens in life. Just when things are rolling along and we think we understand what the next couple chapters are going to look like, everything falls apart and uh, yep. yay in 2012 you had one of those falling apart moments what what happened?
1: Um, so earlier 2012, uh, my mother actually there's, it's kind of a two- part story, but she um, came back from Florida from wintering there, and she to keep to make a long story short, she declined rapidly, and nobody could tell us why. She literally went from driving her own car and living independently, and, uh, being the the medical techy for all of the senior citizens, uh, to being unable to speak, to walk, to do daily functions on her own within literally like six weeks.
0: Wow. That you know.
1: So that was in the spring and I was her primary, uh, health proxy and, and caretaker. I became that. Um, so we went through the summer and the fall with just dealing with her situation, which caused me looking back, miss my, all of my annual appointments, my medical things. Mm. Um, and sometime in late October, no, late November, mid to late November, I discovered a lump in my left breast. Mm. Um, so I went to my doctor for my annual exam in early December, and, um, you know, as much as people said, oh, it's nothing, it's nothing, uh, as soon as the nurse practiced in there, took out the, the little measuring thing and said, well, let's just take some measurements and then make an appointment for... Some further studies, I said, Oh, this is probably not good. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I had a lot going on. Um, and I also had something on my thyroid, and I had a, an enlarged lymph node that was problematic. Um, so, sent me home the next several days, some tests. And on the 18th of December in the morning, uh, my surgeon called and just over the phone, that um, she said, "Yep, the biopsies are back. It's an aggressive form of breast cancer, and we need to start getting you in for some appointments." So, Ooh. I said, "Okay, thank you for telling me, and I'll wait for the next, you know, the next call." Um, got off the phone, and Bob and I then did our once-a-year annual Christmas shopping that we had scheduled for the day. You're kidding. <laughs> uh, no, that's what we did, and uh, but it actually was perfect because we had planned to be out of the house to do that anyhow, and it gave us a chance to just be like, okay, what are how are we going to do this, you know, um, and decide some important things like we're not going to tell the kids until after Christmas. Um, let's just you know get through Christmas and then figure it out. So, yeah, yeah, that's how we spent that day.
0: Wow, so, yeah. talk to me you you've gotten over the course of of these decades you've gotten to know yourself pretty well is that a pretty typical uh response you pulled your socks up and you just went forward is is that is that kind of how you operate to get through hard things
1: yeah yeah i yeah. mean my my father was you know german and
0: yes. my
1: father is very is very german also um, and you know i grew up on a on a dairy farm, not wealthy. Um, it's just what you did. My father's education was probably an eighth grade education, and yet he was just the most capable, most intelligent man, really, that I've probably ever met. Um, and his, you know, it was just, okay, this happened. Let's, how do we solve it? You know, I tell my kids now be a problem solver. It's okay to be like upset or sad. Yeah. But then, quickly shift into the problem solve mode and that yeah so that it was pretty normal
0: wow wow your husband your husband different personality and different family of origin how did he respond um he's
1: you know the the blessing was he knew that as much as it was it involved more than me that this was my thing you know
0: ah. this was
1: and, and his you Know his reaction was as it as was the best, uh, was you know, what do I need to do to support you and get you through this? Um, you know, Aww. so yeah, he's not, he's also not a, um, I mean, he's a worrier. Uh, sometimes we we call him Eeyore because he tends to be more on the, <laughs> the worried side, but he's just, it's just because he's, um, he's also a problem solver, but just in a different way,
0: you know, yeah. so. Wow, and it's in moments like this that our earlier choice of who we married really, really counts. And yeah. and it was one of those times you saw you did you did well. How did you tell the kids? <laughs> um. So
1: we, I had a bunch of appointments like rapid fire. Um, fortunately, it was well. Fortunately, unfortunately, it was the holidays, so the schedule was a little bit. Hectic because Bob was at the church and I was the director for the Christmas pageant, Um, but it was also a little bit flexible because it was around the holidays. So Mm. the kids, the kids knew I was coming and going, and um, so finally after after New Year's, um, you know, we decided, okay, we've got to, I've got to tell them now, Um, and because our son Charlie, the oldest. Number one, because he was a boy, and he handles things a little bit differently. He tends to be a little have a little more anxiety than the girls. So I plan to tell all the girls together, and um, and Bob went somewhere with Charlie that day. So mm. we we made it a movie day, and we were just all hanging out movies. And after one of the movies, I said, "Okay, Mom's got to tell you guys something." I, I said, "You know, you you know, I've had a lot of appointments, and one of my girls said." We know, Mom. We think you're pregnant. <laughs>
0: oh. <laughs> and I said, uh, in my head, I was like, "Boy, I wish that that was the news I was giving to you." Um, Big time.
1: So I said, I said, um, "No, actually, that would be good news." I said, "But instead, it's uh, you know, I have something called breast cancer, and I kind of explained it to them, um, and." Each one, it's one of my favorite memories, actually, of the whole thing. Each one of them reacted completely differently, but completely perfectly for their personalities. And, um, you know, Regina, who my oldest daughter is very, very calm, and she was kind of like, okay, can we can we watch the next movie now? Uh... And Therese, my sensitive one, just grabbed a blanket, Put her head under it and started to cry.
0: Aww.
1: And Catherine, my baby, who of course being the baby, and she had nursed very late in her life, and uh, so she used to kind of jokingly say that I had what lo- lucky lefty and Ralphie righty. <laughs> <laughs> so, and, uh, and as only Catherine could do, she you know she said, "Well, where is it?" And I said, "What's well, you know in my left breast?" And she said. She said, I guess Lucky Lefty's not so lucky after.
0: Oh my gosh. (laughs) Every personality on full display. Yeah. Wow. That's not so lucky lefty. Yeah, I know. Wow. And Charlie,
1: then when we told Charlie a little bit later, he just, because he's a very black and white thinker, he just said, wait, people die from cancer. And Ah. he said, yeah. He said, are you going to die? And I said, "Um, I'm going to die someday. We all are, but I don't believe that I'm going to die from this cancer at this time in my life. So he's like, okay, you know, so, yeah.
0: What, what was the doctor telling you about what to expect from this cancer?
1: Um, I had kind of decided early on and put a, put a burden on Bob that I'm not sure he, you know, wanted to accept, but I said, I, I really don't want, I I knew that cancer had stages, um, and prognosis, And I told him, I don't want to be the one that hears any of that stuff. So you're going to have to listen to those statistics and not tell me unless I ask you to tell me. Um, Wow. As far as I'm concerned, I'm going to fight and beat this cancer. Um, And that's kind of... And then I did have my first doctor oncologist sort of just started busting out with some stats. um, And I just... We left the office and Bob and I, I looked at him and I said, I'm going to get a different oncologist. He's not, you know,
0: he's not what I need. Wow.
1: Yeah. So I didn't really focus on that, you know, prognosis and it was just, what are we going to do? What's the next thing we have to do? What's the next thing?
0: Which, which is true to your problem solving nature. Yeah.
1: Right. Right.
0: How did you feel at that point? Did you feel like someone who was sick?
1: No, no. No, I was actually, you know, in good shape. I was, uh, yeah, yeah, it was. Uh, what
0: which, were, that, and
1: that's the strangest part because you're like, I would never have known I had cancer if I had not found a lump, you know.
0: What were your earlier experiences of cancer in your life with other people? Was cancer something that had been a part of your life?
1: Um, mostly through people... That we knew through the church or the community. I didn't really have close um, close other than my father died of lung cancer in 2001, but he was a lifelong smoker, and it wasn't ever really a surprise for any of us. Mm. So, um, I guess the the hard part was I had walked pretty closely with him through that because I was um, you know not working full time at the time and I was very flexible. Um, so yeah, you know, it's not a pleasant thing to watch somebody's walk through that, especially when it doesn't end well. So
0: yes, you said you, you told Bob, I'm going to fight. So don't tell me anything. I don't need to know. I just, I'll ask you if I need to know it and, uh, I'm going to fight. What does that mean? I, as Listening as somebody who's never had cancer but has thought about it many times, has known people who've had it, what does it feel like to fight cancer?
1: Hmm. <laughs> I'm sure, uh, you know, I think the, the reason I really didn't want to know statistics or uh, because I had heard probably somewhere or I just decided... I really don't want. If it's bad news, I don't want to know that until I really need to, because I want every every fiber of me to just be thinking good thoughts. You know, only good, only good thoughts. Tell mm. me good. Um, I did very early on drive around town and um, and make a point to think about people in the community um, who had. Had had cancer years ago and think about how many years ago they had had it, and you know, think, oh, that's um, Jen Leonardo, she's been, you know, almost 20 years, and uh, Donna Ansbacher she's getting ready to be 20 years, uh, you know, and,
0: mm. and
1: uh, MJ Willis. So I, I focused on people I knew who um, had, had had cancer and were still here, you know.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah. What when you look back at that time? Uh, I know from just hearing, I've never had this conversation with you about this before, but I know from talking with your family, it was in, in some ways the best of times and the worst of times. Uh, you experienced some beautiful moments with the community and in your lives, and you also experienced some of the hardest. Maybe we'll, we'll end on a sweeter note. What was hard about that period? What are the hard memories? Uh,
1: so... Actually, the hardest part for me was the day that I um, got the call that I needed to have further testing um, from the gynecologist's office. Mm. I was sitting with one of my sisters waiting for my mother to get done with a procedure to find out what her real issue was. Um, And I remember on the 18th when I got the call that it was definitely cancer, um, one of my early calls was to my sister and my other siblings, and I just said, I can't do mom. I, I need a year, I think, and I just, I have to do me right now, so, mm. I, you know, and it was very difficult because I, you know, knew all of the ins and outs of her medical, and um, and I didn't really, I didn't want to abandon her, but I also knew that if she was in her mind enough to know what was going on, she would she would want me to do that, so... Um, yes. So, kind of being separated from that process and was, um, you know, was was a negative. Well, that was a down. Yeah. Uh, but I think the most... There's just too many heartwarming memories to really, um, you know, the, the community coming together.
0: Mm. Um, Remarkable outpouring you know, of love from the community. Right.
1: You know the meals, the cards. Um, some people, you know, you've had Peggy Quigley on here, and she used to send me a card. I don't know every few weeks, and she. What I loved about them were they were the most ridiculous, not sappy, borderline irreverent sometimes cards, and um, <laughs> they were the best, you know. And she was like, "I hope you don't mind," and I was like, "I love your cards." So, um, oh. and and just being able we. We decided very early on that even though I knew it would be difficult, that I wanted to um, keep the kids home. I didn't want to send them to school. I wanted to do what I could to um, continue homeschooling. And um, so having them here, because I knew that I always say that my kids are my oxygen. And on the days through chemo and if I had been home alone and not been able to hear them, and just be surrounded by them, even though I was not with them because I'd be on the couch completely out, you know, um, I know that that's what got me through those days. Wow. Uh, so, and just, you know, one, probably the most touching one, the one that came right to mind, uh, was Therese, um, who was probably, who was nine at the time. When my hair fell out, he was very bothered. He was... Um, We had knitted some hats and we had talked about it and we had, you know, taken pictures with our chemo caps on, but then when it actually happened, she had a really hard time looking at me. Mm. Um, She wanted me always to have either a wig or a, a head cap on. And I remember fairly early on, I went to kiss her goodnight. She was kind of a top bunk and I had a, I had a scarf on my head and she pulled it off my head and she just looked at me and she goes, it's okay now, mom. And <laughs> oh. so, um, you know, it was like her little way of saying, it's okay. I can look at you now. I, I love you this way too. You know, you're oh. still my mom, like recognizing that you're still my mom, even though you don't have hair, you know, <laughs> oh.
0: oh, that's such a touching story. And yeah. And for anybody who didn't, didn't make the connection, that's your sensitive one who buried her head in the blanket. Right. When you first yep. announced it. So all oh, that really touches me to think of her saying that, especially because it feels to me like on another level, what she was saying is I can be brave for you, mom. I'll be brave. But, I'll look yeah. at, I'll look at something hard to look at for you. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Wow! And
1: a blessing because, you know, as a mom, one of the the first things you, you think of, I think is what if I'm not going to be here for them or what if they're not going to be okay when i get through this and um, it was a little bit of a mom i'm going to be okay you know so oh um,
0: wow so. that's a moment what what was praying like for you during this time oh um
1: it was you know that i i will say and i probably should have said it at the very the very beginning what you know community is great family is great but I would absolutely not have gotten through without my faith. Um, mm. And and I truly believe that all of those things, the community and the others, were a result of the faith of those people. And um, so I, I'm not a journaler. I'm not really good at um, sitting down and taking a lot of time to pray. But at that time, um, I, I often would just, if I was scared, I would just, you know, repeat the name of Jesus. I would just close my eyes and be like, you know, Jesus, 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 come to me, um, mm. you know, me. Um, because, you know, I really, I've come to, to believe in my life that I don't really have to name everything to Jesus that I'm praying for because he already knows exactly what is bothering me, what is, what I'm celebrating, um, you know. Just like a really close friend sometimes you don't need words you just need to, to be in one another's presence yeah so, um and a friend of mine had had told me he was not a christian she was into an eastern religion and she said you have to find your mantra here's you know here's a mantra you... and um i took a piece of that advice because i said i do need to find something to focus on but um what i what i would say to myself over and over if I got nervous or worried, was I would simply say, "Stage one cancer confined to the left breast." Stage one cancer confined to the, you know, and I would say, "Jesus, stage one cancer," just to tell myself it's it's not a bad thing. It's it's a minor thing, you know.
0: It's just wow.
1: Um. So yeah. So you know, and and I continue to go to church, and um, that was always great. You know, it was always very meaningful. Um, so yeah.
0: Wow, you've you've hinted to me that uh, God showed up in some powerful ways um, during this time. What comes to mind? The ways that God showed up?
1: Yeah, um, my 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 favorite way because it's a little bit comical, and I've told every once in a while I'll tell one of the faith formation classes this when they're talking about you know is seeing Jesus or whatever. Is um, I call him my Jesus minifigure moment um, ah, huh. because that the mantra that I that I would say um, it was the it was Christmas Eve morning and as I said earlier I was the director of the Christmas pageant which happens on Christmas Eve so hmm. I knew that there were just a handful of people that knew of my diagnosis and they were close enough that I had also told them that we didn't want the kids to know but you know people make mistakes small town so I was like how am I going to get through Christmas Eve and be you know do the pageant and get through all of this um so I was a little bit stressed but I remember as I woke up that morning um I I heard my mantra I heard you know stage one cancer all in the left breast stage one, you know, it's going to be okay that I just heard those words, Mm. but I realized, I realized I wasn't saying them. And when I opened my eyes, um, I saw my little Jesus minifigure was standing on my left breast, like looking at me and, you know, saying my mantra.
0: Whoa. Um, And
1: it's, it's funny because, you know, you're sort of half sleeping, half waking and you're, but you know that you're awake. It's I'm like, I know I did not dream that. I know I'm awake oh. and it feels like that was several minutes, but I know it was really a nanosecond. I, you know, it's kind of hard. People are like, well, how long, how many, t-? I'm like, I really don't, I just know that it happened and it felt like a long time um, and just peace. This, I, I was like, this is, this is perfect, you oh. know? So, yeah, when he shows up, he shows up, he comes big or,
0: you know. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. If yeah. he's going to come, he's going to make himself known. That yeah. is so amazing that he adopted your mantra, which is just so interesting because there's times that we say the words that that he said. You know, we'll will repeat, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. Or... um let this cup pass, but not my will, your will be done. We say our Father who art in heaven, we say his words, but he said your words to help you get through it. Right, yeah. Whoa, 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 whoa.
1: I think because I knew, you know, I had been able to say them, but at that point I probably had hit a, a high pressure point and I couldn't, I had no word. And so it was like his kind of reminder that here's your words come on, you, you got
0: it, you know, these are your wow. words. <laughs> you know? What a coach, what a coach. Yeah. Get, get in yeah. the game, get in the game, DeRosier, right. get in the game. <laughs> wow. Tell me, I, I'm i curious, do you find that when you pray, is Jesus the one who you direct most of your prayers to? Some folks, when I chat with them about their prayer, they talk about the Holy Spirit most of the time. You know, I offered this to the Holy Spirit. Maybe other people just use the term God, or maybe some would say to my Heavenly Father, is Jesus the one who comes to mind first?
1: Um, It depends on what I'm, I think it depends on how I'm praying. Um, If I'm, I think probably mostly, I would say probably more than 50% is is just the conversation with Jesus. But I feel like when I'm really, when I really want to be comforted, I do more. You know, Father, just I, I could see myself often sitting on God's lap as a small child, you know. Uh. A, um, and then when I need, when I feel like I need strength or I have to make a decision, I, I speak more of the Holy Spirit for, you know, okay, make these, you know, bring me the words that God wants me to say, holy, you know. I've, so I guess it depends what I'm appealing because I've come to know each of those, you know, God in each of those ways a little bit differently.
0: Oh, amazing. Yeah. 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 That's, that's beautiful. And you know, it, 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 it speaks to me about the, the gift of having, you know, the Trinity having been revealed to us that, you know, to know that you do have those, um, different ways of connecting with God. Uh, it's, it's really beautiful. What, from where you sit today, looking back, what, how did that time of your life change you? How did, how did having cancer affect you?
1: Um, I think, I think I thought of myself as a person who believed that, you know, today is all we have, live today, tomorrow's never promised. But as much as I think I um, had, you know, 2040 vision in that, in that aspect, I think it brought my vision for tomorrow's never promised to, like, 2020. You know, wow. it just – it sharpened it. It was like it, – it really –
0: like, now I know what that means. <laughs> Tomorrow oh.
1: Tomorrow might not be here for me, you
0: know? Yeah. That's a, that's a, what, and that is, that is a, both a burden and a gift, I think, because I, I wonder does having had one doctor's appointment where they say, wait a minute, you expected to hear everything's fine, see you in six months or see you in a year, or, see you in next. Um, you heard, wait a second, you know, Houston, we've got a problem. Mm-hmm. What is, how does fear play a role in your life now differently, that you've experienced you know uh, something that that was you hoped and expected would be routine and it wasn't what what do you do with the uncertainty of having no power over that?
1: Yeah, I think I call it the uh, I call it the big sea shadow and um, I, you know for myself even as much as I feel like I You know trust God and um, there's always that moment of every time you have to have six six months follow or every time you go for a routine test um, and I know that I share that with many cancer survivors that I know because you know we often will text each other with oh today's the day for the oncology visit you know and it's like yep I know what you're um,
0: yeah
1: oh it's you but you really I mean you really have to keep your fear in check um, mm. And know that you know fear. Yeah, it's just not healthy. It doesn't. It's not helpful. But, um, mm. but that it's okay to. It, it's okay that it's there because you you have had that experience. Um, just like if you've been, uh, you know, caught in a rainstorm without an umbrella. Okay, so it's okay to think, oh, I'm going to get wet. You know.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: It's a it's a learned thing that yeah sometimes it's not always you know it doesn't always come out the way you want it to to, so
0: how do you think it changed your family
1: um i think i i definitely know the kids um at different times i i think they're more fearful of um you know i think most children who don't have a parent or someone close that goes through that they don't really ever think about their parents' health or if mom says she's going to the doctors, there's not really, uh, but especially early on, whenever I said, oh, I've got to go to the doctors, you know, I'd, I'd usually get from one of them, why? What's wrong? Are you okay? Um, so,
0: mm. I think then,
1: you know, um, I've had to keep myself in check because I have to tell you that I, you know, we, as parents, especially when we're home with our kids all the time, when you get to a, a stressful moment in parenting or homeschooling, um, you know, it's easy to say, well, that you know but maybe I'm just going to crawl in a hole and die and you'll never see me again. And um, mm. it, I think it takes on a more harsh reality for kids who have actually thought about you dying. Um,
0: yeah. That,
1: um, yeah.
0: Wow. What. What are your favorite ways when, when fear knocks at your door, as it does for all of us in our own journeys, what are your favorite go-tos now for praying? How, what's your favorite way to connect with God at this stage in your life? Now that you've got kids, you've got, uh, kids in their twenties, you've got kids, teenagers, you, uh, you're, you're this many years beyond cancer. What, how do you connect with God best now?
1: Um, I've
0: always been an eclectic person, (laughs) 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 uh, jack of all trades,
1: master of none. So, um, I've, you know, I've tried them all. I've tried, uh, guided meditations. I've tried the rosary. I've tried, um, uh, you know, Lectio Divina. I've tried journaling and for me, the, the best way for me is just to be somewhere alone, often with music. That kind of gets me sort of – music is very important to me in my faith life. Um, and I, I really just talk to God a lot. Like I I have my prayer spaces right next to my bed. So when I open my eyes in the morning, it's right there, Um <coughs> So I'll just start talking about you know, oh yeah, remember this one, remember that one. God, what are you know? Um, hmm. But I, you know, I do like I do like to sit in front of the tabernacle. Um, adoration is important. I love mass. Hmm. Uh, so yeah, and you know, virtual mass is nice. It's great that it's an opportunity to have that. Um, but I really can't wait to. To, to you know, to feel the real present when I'm there with the you know the family of God of our parish.
0: So. I love that. Yeah, isn't that true? Yeah, and I love it's it's really helping us to recognize uh, that one of the main ways we experience church is the family of God. It's a major, major, important thing for us. So that's yeah. 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 Do you have yeah. a favorite song from church? Out of curiosity, if if you have you picked your have you picked the songs that are going to be played at your funeral? Like I have?
1: No. Well, you know, I have, but there's way too many of them, so ah. I would have to um. There's you know, and I'm my husband is the music guy and the memory guy. I have a memory like a strainer. Everything just flows right out. Of once it
0: <laughs>
1: um, so as soon as I hear a song, I'll be like, ah going to be that one I know I'm going to cry where's the tissue um but yeah and there's you know uh one of my favorite singers is Matt Marr and he has a few that are just
0: um, mm.
1: he has one that actually is uh, as good as it gets which is sort of like a um you know the gist of it is like god in your life is as good as it gets not meaning you know it's it's not great it's sort of you know in the negative way, as good as it gets, it's just no matter what else is happening, whatever's falling apart, whatever's not good, you've got God. So this is as good as your life is going to get right here in this moment. Um,
0: I love so, that. Yeah. And Father Pat Butler is a priest of our diocese. He's the pastor of the largest parish in the diocese up in Clifton Park. And I remember one of the times he said is, we can start experiencing heaven right now because... God is already as present to us as God ever will be. There's no such thing as more presence than the real presence. So if we can just relax into that, we are experiencing heaven right there. It's as good as it gets. Yeah. Yeah. And that's so, I think that's so exciting. Which also kind of does say our distance away from heaven is only as as thick as the wall as we've put up. Right. <laughs> you know, which is yeah. pretty wonderful. Tear down that wall, you know? Wow. Mm-hmm. You have actually um, organized your life in the past few years around your faith. Maybe it's fair to say you, you, you have long before that with the, with homeschooling your children. But um, you actually now have a career in the church. And what what would you say caused you... To not be afraid that you would overdose on church, because you're you know you're a real person. You're a real person. You you know you're you're not you're not um, somebody who uh, likes to be real saccharine and soupy religious and real gooey. Um, what what caused you to want to uh, to devote your, yourself so fully to faith?
1: Right. Um, I think I kind of always. Once I, once I made the major transition in my life and, um, and saw the power of what God can do, um, to redeem us.
0: Um, but that's like stories for another podcast. (laughs) Um, All right. Did you just, did you hear that everybody? She just said yes. (laughs) Um,
1: You know, then I always knew that that is, that I wanted to do something and the fact that. You know, I married Bob, who always wanted to do something for the church. And I was able to be home with my kids and be um, a home church and be the primary faith person in my kid's life. I knew that that was my mission for a while, even though I was a little antsy about, you know, I, I want to do something. I want to kind of work and, you know, be more. Um, it just kind of fell into place at that that felt very comfortable. Mm. Um, and so I'm not surprised. But then I feel like once you once you really feel God's presence in your life, I always joke about the, um, the Bed Bath & Beyond coupon. And, <laughs> um, you know, I on social media and other things, when somebody has something like that 20% off Bed Bath & Beyond coupon, they just want to tell the world the great deal they just got. And they can't wait to share it. And who wants one? Does anybody have one I can get? Uh. And I feel like then I I think my faith, I think God's presence in our life is at least slightly better than a 20% off bed, bath, and the <laughs> So I want to share that with people. And I just want them to be excited about that and know that, you know, I've been in hard places and... I've been brought out of those hard places by nothing short of, you know, the love of God. Um,
0: Uh, So, so you know, kind of
1: just was natural. You
0: you know know what I want to say too, that I think is really beautiful about what you just said. You don't want everyone to join this path because you found it and you're right, or you desire to be right about it. Or, I've got, I've got something you don't have and um, come join the club. It's something much, it's a much better invitation than just being right. It's, um, this has changed my life and I would not, I would not have my joy without this. Please taste some of this with me. Right. This food is better. This feast is better enjoyed with company.
1: Right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I love it. I love it. You know, and I don't
1: ever, I don't ever need to know who, I, I really don't want anybody to ever tell me, oh, I came to Jesus because of you. I like that, that does not matter to me. And one of the things I saw going through cancer was, um, with the community out, I realized how many people can be touched by, um, by your life and by your kids' lives and that you don't even realize, know you, um.
0: Mm. think
1: about that when sharing my faith that I, there's you know I just hope that there are many people out there that at some point are like oh yeah and I'll never know that and that's okay that's okay I don't ever want to know or try to give God a number of how many people I've you know brought to Christ Um, because I it doesn't matter it doesn't change my faith
0: Yeah. Uh, but yeah yeah, yeah. That's beautiful. Well, and it's kind of, um, it's that image of the cup flowing over. There's no, almost no way to measure what flowed over. You just rejoice that there's such an abundance. You know, it's like uh, nobody's got their little uh, uh, gauge to see how many milliliters came out. No. <laughs> you know, it's, yeah. but it's, but I can tell you that it's a lot. I can tell you it's a lot. Kr- Krista, there are people who are listening to this who have no connection to you or to me, they have no connection to our church, they were forwarded this because they're going through a hard time. Maybe they've just recently been diagnosed with with breast cancer or another form of cancer, or maybe they were forwarded this because they've been having struggles in their faith and someone thought this could help them. If you were speaking with someone who was in in, in that, like you said, the, the, the pit that you've known, um, when you first found out that you had cancer or or even, you know, maybe it's a whole different crowd that went, that is having, had an inkling, had a nudge when you said, I just, I, I knew that I wasn't on the path I was supposed to be on. What would you say to offer encouragement to them from where you sit in your life now?
1: Um, what's the saying? Um, everything... In the end, everything will be okay, and if it's not okay, then it's not the end. You got, you got
0: it, it. And you got it.
1: I know that somebody you know that's kind of a meme that goes around or whatever, but uh, you know, just and really whether they whether they're they currently have a relationship with God or not, I would you know encourage that. Um, and I you know, I one of the things. One of the things I told myself I would do, because I knew when I, you know, when chemo was going to start and that I would start to get ugly, you know, your skin looks terrible. People tell you you look great, but you really look back at pictures and you're like, you guys were all lying.
0: Because, uh-huh.
1: you know, the hair was gone. The skin was bad. The um, is I, I Every time I went past a mirror, if I looked in, I told myself that I would smile no matter how badly I felt and just remember that God created that. You know whatever that looked like at that moment, God created me, um, and it really that that was really pretty powerful at the time, um, because it just I I would walk away from every time I I did that and go Wow, that's right You know um,
0: So that is huge. Just God created this, and if I can manifest this, I get to see a little bit of God's glory right now, right here, right. Right. Oh, Krista, that's—I'm gonna put that in my toolbox. I'd never had that thought before. And and some days it is hard to muster that smile, and in a way, it makes it all the more beautiful.
1: Yeah, there's there's many days to email. for for many people. It's it's hard to get any kind of smile
0: out. But wow. Krista, before we conclude, just a couple of questions I'd like to ask everybody because these are some of the deep thoughts that I think are being chatted about a lot of different places. And I, I think people would appreciate getting your take on this. Many people feel that their life is guided by the phrase, everything happens for a reason. Uh, do you believe that's true or not?
1: about it a lot, because I did watch your YouTube thing when you when you talked about it.
0: Um, oh, thank you.
1: I, for me, if, if that phrase is true, everything happens for a reason, you know, if God made this thing happen to me um, so that I could get patience, or so that I could whatever, then to me that sort of negates the concept of free will in my life. Um,
0: mm.
1: You know, I... I have free will to decide whether I'm going to have more patience or whether I'm going to make the next right decision. So if I say that, well, God gave me this flat tire to to make me slow down, you know, I'm like, well, no, because maybe it's not going to slow down. Maybe I'm going to jump in somebody else's car and get there quicker, you know. Ah. Because that's my free will to choose that. So do I think that everything... You know how we respond to everything can have a purpose and a meaning. Um, then yeah, it's you know. But the the straight up, if if we say everything happens for a reason, meaning God sends every circumstance to to teach a lesson or to I don't
0: I don't believe in it from the perspective. I guess. Yeah. Oh, that's fascinating. Good. That's great. Great response. lot to think about there. Uh, let me ask you. You've had to endure many things. Um, in the midst of. Um, Even as we're interviewing right now, you are just a week into grieving the loss of a sibling who died. You lost another sibling and your mother last year. Um, You've had to endure through a lot of challenges. What do you think, as you look back at some of the things you've faced, what is the key for you in enduring or persevering through hardship?
1: I think it can be summed up in one word, and that's surrender. Mm. Um, yeah, just surrender, and then, and then start problem solving. You know, but but first you have to surrender. Yes. Um, because it can't, you know, the serenity prayer, the wisdom to know the things, you know, to know the difference. Yes. I I can't change the fact that my brother, you know. Lived a very painful and 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 ill life, and and left us too soon. I I will never be able to change this. I'll never be able to change the fact that I hadn't spoken to in a while because we didn't usually. I I can't change any of those things.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: you know. So, what well, can I do that's productive? But yeah, you have to surrender.
0: mm it strikes me too. It's, I mean, you are trained, you're a trained soldier for the U.S. Army and you are trained to handle physical earthly battle in one way. And yet when it comes to the spiritual warrior in you, the answer is surrender. Yeah. That's yeah. powerful. Yeah. You've got to know, you've got to know the tactics that will work for what you're dealing with. And when it comes to the spiritual life, surrender is the tactic. Yeah. Well, I know
1: you know, I actually, uh, I had a young soldier who, um, you know, when you are a pretty male-dominated field and in the Army, and you are not generally surrounded by a lot of uh, faith-filled people necessarily, or people who are willing to share their faith, I should say,
0: hmm. and
1: we had, I remember having a soldier when I was deployed to Panama for uh, Operation Jaws, which is um, when... Noriego to be removed from power um and we were getting ready to go out and you know and come in contact and uh, I had a soldier who was you know we would call him a bible supper um hmm. but I remember we were all sitting there getting ready to go and locked and loaded and he said you know man to pray and you know, I I was like, absolutely, give us, you know, send us some prayer. And I remember thinking that he prayed that um, nobody was laughing at him anymore. You know, every mm. they're like, wow, um, and everybody surrendered a little bit at that moment. Like this, this might, it, this might not end well for all of us, and um, we, we need to surrender. So he really um, that that young gentleman taught me a lot about. You know, bravery in in your you no, know, be, be willing to surrender, and that in the end, it's all going
0: to be. No, oh, I love those words. I love, yeah. And if it's if it's not all right, it's not the end. Yeah. Yeah. Krista, what? Are you hoping for at this point? We're, we're speaking in the middle of coronavirus. People might be hearing this years later, and they'll be able to tell us how this all ends up, but we don't know yet. <laughs> and uh, <Yeah. laughs> we uh, we have some fears about what it could what it could turn into, and we've got some hopes. What are your best hopes for what life can look like when we, as a people, make our way through this challenge?
1: Yeah, I, I thought about it on two levels. I thought. I don't think that my my hope for life is is different than it was before corona you know I just hope that I can live a life that points people to Jesus um, and that um, yeah and for for our, our world and and culture you know on a wider level I think that my my hope is that people will commit to keeping the things that they have acknowledged they really um, appreciated about being uh, you know segregated, isolated, quarantined whatever the case may be you know, the, the people who are like this is such a blessing to be home with my family more um, such a blessing to not be wrong. Um, I just hope that when this is over you know I started making a list of things I will not give up when, when we reopen you know
0: ah. <laughs>
1: I will not give up um, family prayer time. And Mm. we, and it's something that we did when the kids were really little, we did more and then we all got busy and Mm. we were like, you know, we both work at the church. We all go to Mexico when we're supposed to, we do this, we do that, but we never really did family prayer time. And Mm. because it's my job, you know, part of my job, I was like, we could, we could start doing this thing on Facebook live or, um, and really I, I don't really know how many people watch it or don't, but it is extremely, um, meaningful for our family to do that. And, and I want to commit to not stopping that when we, you know, don't have to do it any longer.
0: Yeah, I love it. And I'm, I'm very happy to say that I get to see from where I sit that you have raised children, uh, over the course of now two decades, you didn't. You know, just like when you're when you're kneading the dough, you don't know how it's all going to turn out. But as as the dough has risen, we've seen you've raised children who really love Jesus. They do today. <laughs> people, today. so it's not like we can't we can't rest
1: on our laurels or give up or stop praying for them to continue that relationship. But I, I am very grateful that right now today. Um,
0: my children all seem to love Jesus. <laughs> hey, oh, wow, wow! And you know, I love that one day at a time works for just about everything in life, including, uh-huh. yeah, we, I, it's 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 so true. Like any relationship, we cannot take a snapshot and think that we know the whole thing always and forever. Relationships shift and change, and people go through stuff. So, for today, you are grateful that they love uh-huh. Jesus, they they love Jesus today. Krista, this has been a really beautiful hour. Thank you for the wisdom that you shared. Thank you for being willing to open yourself up. It's, um, you know, I, I think anyone who, uh, knows staunch Germans knows that one of their great gifts is to be strong and to help us get through things. But often it's, it's more challenging for someone with, uh, with that culture to open up. You opened up so beautifully and uh, and showed us some things that we really needed to see and hear. And so thank you for the time. Thank you. No, oh, thank you. And to all of our listeners, this might be a good time for us to just take a second before we depart. <sighs> Ask yourself, what is it that God wanted me to hear from this conversation? What is going to stay with me? Was it something about the way that prayer came into Krista's life? Is it it about role modeling or about praying for God to give you what you need and then having the openness to receive it? Was there something she talked about with her cancer or her losses that gave you hope or encouragement? Is there any part of this interview that's gonna go forward with you? Is there anything from this that you want to share with someone else? Is there someone who came to mind during this time that you were listening to this podcast that maybe you need to forward this to because it's exactly what they need? So we close now, friends, and thank you for listening. We're grateful to Krista for her time and for your time in hearing these sacred stories. May God bless you all on your path forward.